This is thatsinthebible.com. That's in the Bible, episode number 85. Really, Lord? Love not? Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, now is at stake. Humbling your hearts to God, saves from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. Hello and welcome back to That's in the Bible. My name is Eric. Glad you could join us today for another episode of That's in the Bible. You know, this show is really centered on what the Bible says and what the Bible is all about. You know, bestsellers come and go. The Bible happens to be the bestseller of the world and has been for many, 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 many years. So why would you spend any time, you know, reading other books when you can have the Bible that gives you God's Word, God's words for us today, that we can know are true? You know, the Bible has been proven so many times, it's never been disproven, not once. And uh, so, take a look with us today as we study the Bible today. But first, I'd like to bring in our, our guest panel that are here every week. Every week, I wish we were here every week. <laughs> that are here as often as we can be. And uh, let me introduce them. We've got, first of all, Pastor Strobel from beautiful Lockport, New York. Pastor Strobel, how are you today? I'm doing well, and good to be with everybody as always. Glad you could join us. And we've also got Pastor Steve in, um, well, it's not actually Buffalo, is it, Steve, that you live? Uh, it's just outside of Buffalo. Uh, it's a uh, suburb called West Seneca. Beautiful West Seneca. And speaking of beautiful countryside, we bring in Matthew, the missionary up in Point Hope, Alaska. Amen. It's good to be here. How's things in Alaska? Going well. We had uh, had some real heavy winds uh, for a few days, uh, 60 mile an hour winds. We, th- <laughs> we thought we were going to lose our roofs, but uh, everything stayed for the most part uh, okay. We, we had plywood and things like that, a bunch of lumber out in my front yard because we've been building a lot. And I woke up at three in the morning to plywood and lumber flying at my house. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So other than that, we're doing good. <laughs> I wrestled it all down and got it uh, tied down, and so uh, no harm done. Now three in the morning is that? Is it light or dark at three in the morning in Alaska this time of year? It's dark. We're getting to the period where it's uh, soon going to be twenty four seven dark. Wow. So, what sort of work have you have you been doing with that lumber? Uh, we just built our and finished our second cabin out at the teen camp, which is about uh, 14, 15 miles down the beach. And uh, so, of course, we do that uh, once a year. And we started it a couple of years ago. And uh, the reason why we're building these cabins is we want it to be an overnight, two or three night overnight camp for the teenagers. And uh, just get them out of college, get them out of the wickedness that takes place here and bad influences and get them out there. So... Uh, we finished the second cabin, and then also we uh, built an addition onto my garage to be able to store uh, the snow machine that I have and and uh, be able to work on some of the machines and things. So, And then we also um, uh, built uh, onto my porch, closed it in because uh, my door would keep freezing with all the heavy pounding of snow and wind and freezing rain and all that that we get here in the winter. 
And so I can't tell you how many times I had to jump out my window last year just to be able to get out my door. <laughs> I had to break into my own house. So, so ho- we're hoping now that I've got the uh, porch enclosed that uh, it'll be easier to get into my house now and get out of my house. So part of being a missionary is not only uh, presenting God's word and uh, you're also part carpenter. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've learned so much since I've been here. I, you know, I, I, uh, I hardly do anything in regards to carpentry. I, I always used to like watching the, you know, TLC shows or whatever they are, you know, HGTV, uh, people build stuff, but I, I could never, I could never, you know, do anything. And, and I'm not saying I'm good at it, but, uh, I know a little bit of what I'm doing now. So that's a blessing. Amen. Well, we've got some hammering and pounding going across the street here. It's obviously not me, but they're putting on a new roof. And I was worried as we began the podcast, I thought, oh boy, it's going to be, it's going to be undoable. But I do have a limiter gate, a DBX-286S that uh, is able to cut out the background noise. So thank you, Lord. So let's check back with uh, Pastor Strobel. Pastor Strobel, anything new and exciting in Lockport, New York? Well, weather-wise, we did have an early snow here as well, and it's still on the ground. I'm sure Steve has some there, too. Um, But it's uh, warming up and and going away. Um, Ministry-wise, it's just been kind of a a difficult sort of a season with, uh, you know, loved ones uh, from our church uh, passing away, and uh, we lost another uh, one of our dear ladies yesterday morning. Um, she'd been in the hospital for a little over a week and, uh, had had a heart attack and a bypass operation and, um, she went home to be with the Lord and, and that's, it's sorrowful and we do sorrow, but thank God we don't sorrow as others, which have no hope. Amen. Um, she is, a, we know she's a Christian. She's saved. She knew the Lord is her savior, had a great testimony, was a, was a witness and, um, we're going to miss her just like we're going to miss. I think I mentioned last time, brother Marco. A missionary to Columbia from our church um, who uh, suddenly passed away of a heart attack uh, a few weeks ago. We we're still waiting for his family to get back. They're supposed to be back from Columbia tomorrow, and we'll be working on setting up a memorial service for him as well. Um, it's it's not my funnest part of the ministry, but uh, every time we come to it, you know what I realize? I realize I'm in the right business. Amen. Amen. Brother Steve. Yes, sir. What's happening there? Well, I had uh, good services yesterday. I had a good group of people uh, attending, which is always a blessing. And uh, just getting ourselves ready for a couple of uh, things that are coming up here, which happen every time at this time of year. Uh, uh, my wife and I and my oldest son, Steve, are, <clears throat> are getting ready to sing the Messiah. Uh, obviously, his wife also, because she sings the alto solos, but... Uh, doing the Messiah this year, uh, the first uh, weekend in December. And so we're getting ready for that. And, and then uh, I, also... If I, if I could just sure. interject for one second. For those of you that haven't heard the Messiah, you know, it, you'd be amazed at how much scripture, you know, <laughs> is is taken and, and put to music, correct? Yeah, it's all scripture. The, all, of the, all of the verses are scripture. All the uh, lyrics of the... Uh, of the uh, solos and the choral pieces are all uh, scripture. We probably, and I've said this before, but somebody may not have gone back and heard some of the other episodes where we've mentioned it, but 
we probably do seven eighths of the Messiah. If you're familiar with that, that probably lasts two to three hours, depending on how fast you sing it. Uh, we sing it pretty fast, so I think we get it in probably in about two hours, maybe a little bit plus of what we do. But uh, like I said, I think we leave out maybe two or three of the choruses. And uh, there are a few solos that are left out from some of the some of the soloists there. But uh, we do it twice. We do it on a Friday night in one of the suburb towns, and then we do it again the Saturday night uh, following <clears throat> they're in a, kind of an outlying uh, uh, small community called East Aurora, which is about 20 minutes away from Buffalo. Uh, but it's, this is our 40th year, or not my 40th year, but the 40th year that it's been running, and it's the longest standing uh, one in the area. So uh, it's uh, it's pretty cool to be part of. The, cor- the chorus is less in number than normal, but uh, it's it's sounding quite good. Uh, still miss my son, David singing in the tenor. They need, they need a stronger voice to be able to make them sound as powerful as they need to not trying to brag on that or anything. It's just stating a fact, but, uh, also along with that, uh, tour right before Christmas, uh, there's a number of smaller churches in the area. Uh, you know, small churches like our own that, uh, get together, and sing at uh, the largest mall in the area called Galleria Mall. And uh, on a Saturday night, we sing uh, Christmas carols there in the mall. And and, uh, the cool thing about it is that uh, churches put together a gift package, if you will, a little pouch or a little bag that has candy and, and different things in there, but it also has gospel track in there and an invitation to uh, come to a church and so the mall has not prohibited us from from handing those out, and we're talking about thousands of, of gospel tracts that are given out in probably less than a half hour mm-hmm. to forty five minutes time. So <clears throat> not only do they get the message out through uh, through the music of the uh, carols, but they also get it through the gift packages that we give out. So it's a real blessing. Those that that really are. Uh, they would classify themselves as unable to sing. Get out there and hand out the uh, out the uh, gift bags and stuff like that. So uh, we get probably I would say thirty to forty people that are singing uh, there. So <laughs> it's kind of a fun thing to do. So that'll be on the twenty first and at the Gallery Mall. Amen. So if you're in the area, check them out. And if, if you if you have the Messiah performing in your area this Christmas season, you should really. Take take a time out and and go listen. It's very inspirational. Amen. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about before we get started on the study was, you know, the, one of the ways that you can read your Bible through is to read the Proverbs for the day. And yesterday, because today is the 18th of um, November, yesterday was the 17th, obviously, and and Proverbs 17:22 says. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. But if you look at just the beginning part of that, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, you know, that's very similar to our expression that we use today. Laughter is the best medicine. And, you know, so yes. often we're, we're quoting the Bible. Many people, even then, aren't saved and, and haven't read the Bible, are quoting the Bible 
because it's so part of our language today and part of the common expressions that we use. So I thought maybe we could talk about that just for a minute. And I know, well, actually, I, I didn't uh, completely remember, <laughs> but podcast number 70, we did a whole show, Pastor Strobel brought us, uh, called That's in the Bible, um, and covers this very topic. So I encourage you to look at and listen to podcast number 70 from That's in the Bible. It'll open your eyes again and open your ears to many times that you are talking or you're hearing people speak. They're using the Bible. You just can't get away from from the Bible. So another one that I've read, and I'm in Psalms in my daily reading also, is Psalm number 78. And uh, verse 25 says, Man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full. You know, and there's a popular... uh, cake called angel's food cake and here it is right in the bible listed as angel's food so i thought maybe we could go around and you guys could uh, maybe bring a few of those common expressions that are found in the bible that you hear people using all the time pastor strobel well let me follow up on both of the ones that you said there uh by saying that laughter being the best medicine for uh, many years has been a, I'm not sure if they still call it that, but in the Reader's Digest there, they had a, a whole section oh, they called right. it laughter, the best medicine. And with the angel's food, it's also interesting that that angel's food they were talking about was uh, manna, which was uh, white, like the angel's food cake is. So very, true. Uh, very consistent. A couple others that come to mind, uh, Romans chapter 13 uh, talks about and gives us the expression that we use today, the powers that be. Mm-hmm. where it says the powers that be are ordained of God. And, of course, um, people refer to that many times uh, without seeing any biblical connection, but uh, but there it is. And then there's another one. We've all probably felt this way, maybe said it at times. I'm, I'm just at my wit's end. Yeah, amen. <laughs> yep. And that actually comes from Psalm 107, verse 27 where it talks about people being on the sea and the waves kicking up and they're out and the the ship's on the boat. And it says, uh, they reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. So there's a couple among uh, many, many that we find in the scripture. Amen. Well, let me add one. Uh, In Ezekiel chapter 4 and verse 10, we hear, we use the phrase from time to time, that's uh, verbatim from that verse in Ezekiel chapter 4 and verse 10. It says, uh, And thy meat which thou shalt eat shall be thy weight, 20 shekels a day. From time to time shalt thou eat it. So there's another cool one. Cool. Amen. Amen. Matthew. Amen. Well, you guys have uh, taken a whole lot of mine that I wanted to say, so <laughs> I guess that's what I get for going last. <laughs> But, uh, you know, we a lot of times I hear people say it, too, even maybe not as much anymore, but uh, eat, drink, and be merry. And, uh, of course, we know, you know, a lot of people uh, talk about that, and um, and that's how the Epicureans were and all that. They just kept on saying, oh, just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And uh, that's how most people think today, even Christians, unfortunately, I think. Um, you know, we see that they might come to church, but uh, really they're just, they just care about uh, making themselves happy, their flesh happy, feeding their flesh, eat, drink, and be merry, and uh, really don't care for the most part what the Word of God says and and all that. And and the other thing I thought about too is uh, born again. 
You know, we hear people all the time say, are you a born again Christian? You know, and and people just say it uh, kind of flippantly, uh, the term born again. But as we've said many times, it's a biblical, biblical uh, a phrase and it's a biblical truth that everybody needs to be born again. You know, John 3, 3, mm-hmm. except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I've talked to many people, including uh, one of my grandmothers that I've quoted that verse to her. She's Greek Orthodox. And um, I said, Grandma, have you ever been born again? And she said, no, I have not. And uh, I got her to actually admit that what her church teaches against what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a huge step that happened uh, about a year and a half, two years ago. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things where a lot of people just, you know, throw it around a lot. But it's the truth. You need to be born again, not not works to get to heaven, not baptism. You know, it's only by being born again through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. Amen. And just to chime in with one more, you know, the Bible is so far ahead. You know, the marketing today is, the uh, you know, health conscious, consciousness about, um, you know, eating lighter foods. And the Bible talks about light bread. And, you know, you can go to the supermarket today and you look for bread and you can get the light bread. You know, the Bible already had that covered. And uh, <laughs> that's mentioned in Numbers uh, 21, verse 5. And again, this is in relation to the manna that Pastor Strobel talked about that I talked about earlier. It says, And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loatheth, I'm sorry, our soul loatheth this light bread. So there you have light bread listed in the Bible hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years before it became a big marketing thing here uh, currently. So it just goes to show how far advanced the Bible is. And, you know, if you want a list of these... And try and say that three times fast. uh, which, Which part? I can't even say loathe. <laughs> Try and say that three times fast. It sounds like I have a speech impediment. Loathe. <laughs> hey, by the way, that's in there as well. Speech impediment? Yeah, let me look it up for you. All right. So, you know, if you want a list of all these things, you can, well, not all of them. I mean, it's hard to, you know, encompass all of them. But there's a, if you happen to have a Ruckman reference Bible, Appendix Number 7 has a whole list of quite a few of them. And, uh, Interesting, interesting topic. And again, our episode number 70, that's in the Bible, is going to uh, list quite a few for you there as well. So that was uh, Mark seven thirty two, And they bring unto him, bring unto Jesus, one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. See there? Amen. Bible so far. And his name ahead. was Eric. No, that's, <laughs> <laughs> they added that part. But I was able to confirm that uh, Reader's Digest still calls their uh, feature laughter the best medicine. <laughs> I have had one here. I just had to take a look at it. And and by the way, w- this doesn't have anything really to do with what we're talking about, but uh, there's a real little quick joke if you if you want to hear it. Absolutely. So the guy says, I was, he was talking to his buddies. He says, I was going to tell a time traveling joke, but you guys didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, actually, I did like it. <laughs> you could go back and edit and put a rim shot right after that. <laughs> uh, that was pretty good. All right. Well, anything else for the good of the cause for Steve? Now, Steve, uh, you know, 
the title of the lesson today is Really, Lord, Love Not. Now, I think there's probably some people listening that are thinking, come on, God is love, and aren't we supposed to love our neighbor and to love everyone? So we're going to have to stay tuned to see what Pastor Steve has to say about that and what he's able to bring to us on the title of Really, Lord, Love Not. Amen. All right, Steve, are you, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, well, here we go. All right, guys, thanks. I appreciate it a lot. Let me give one uh, little announcement or whatever. If you Please forgive me if I have to clear my throat or whatever. I've got something that's happening back there that's uh, <clears throat> just like that where I have to clear it. So uh, from time to time, if I do that in the podcast, please forgive me. But before we go any further, let's go ahead and open up in a word of prayer. Father, we want to thank you for just the opportunity. Lord, I thank you that uh, we've been able to be together as a group to uh, put these podcasts together over these years. And uh, Lord, uh, have received some feedback that uh, people have been blessed by them. And uh, so, Lord, we ask that uh, this would not be an exception, Lord, that uh, you would please bless this podcast, bless the Bible study, uh, fill me with your spirit that I might be able to declare to to, uh, uh, to this audience, Lord, uh, what you've laid on my heart, and Lord, what's true from your scriptures. And uh, God, I pray that they might receive it with a good spirit. Uh, Father, we ask that Jesus Christ might be exalted and glorified in it all. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Yeah, the title that uh, I've given this is Really, Lord, Love Not. And uh, really, before we get to the text uh, that I'm going to give, uh, and uh, I'll hold off on on giving that text just for suspense sake, if you will. But let me ask you this question. <clears throat> what do you love? What do you love? I'm not talking about, you know, oh, I love cookie dough ice cream. And that would not be a lie because I do love cookie dough ice cream, but that's not the, the manner in which I'm trying to phrase that question. Uh, what do you love? Uh, hopefully, if you're married out there, you love your spouse. Hopefully, you love your children if you have children. And certainly, I hope that you're out there if you that you love God and that you love the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you love your country. Maybe you love your job. Uh, but, uh, you know, you ought to take stock into what you love. But let me ask uh, another another question. What do you not love? What do you not love? Now, obviously, we could take that to the extreme, and we can say that there are some things that you hate. Uh, but sometimes when you make that statement, what do you not love, it's kind of nondescript. I mean, you know, I, uh, there's, there's things that I really don't have any opinion on one way or another as to whether I love them or not. I mean, I don't know that I love Major League Baseball, you know, or that I love, you know, certain things out there, but I don't hate them either. So it's not that kind of thing. But but what do you not love? I mean, that you've described as something that you just absolutely do not love. And that's the phrase I want to look at today, that, 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 that phrase of love not, love not. That, that exact phrase happens three times in your Bible. And obviously, you can go through some, uh, some of your uh, 
Bible programs, and you can get some variations of how that's originated. But that exact phrase, love not, happens three times in your Bible, one of which actually is saying the opposite. It's saying that you should love, and that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22. 1 Corinthians 16, 22 says, If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. And, of course, that's obviously uh, encouraging us to love the Lord Jesus Christ because if you don't, bad things are going to happen. Uh, that loosely described, uh, interpreted amatha, uh, amath, anathema maranatha <clears throat> is actually uh, damned forever or uh, something along that line or very close to that. And so that's not uh, one that you want to be on the opposite side for. So there are two verses which tell you to not or love not something. The first one, again, is not what we're going to be dealing with today, but it's found in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 13. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 13 says, Love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty. Open thine eyes, and thou shalt be satisfied with bread. Simply put, God doesn't want us to be lazy bums sleeping our life away. And many times, if you were to take a look at that, especially in the book of Proverbs, you'd find that definition of that or the word that God uses for that is a sluggard. And so God doesn't want us to be sluggard or be a lazy person. In fact, I, I'm thinking of a verse right now that I don't have right off the top of my head where it's located, but it talks about you know, going back and forth uh, from side to side or front to back like a door on its hinges. And of course, that's what we do. You know, if we want to stay in bed longer, we go from our belly to our back and we're hinging on our shoulder, going back and forth and trying to stay in bed a little bit longer. Again, that we're not going to be talking about that particular uh, verse there. But the other of the two verses that we are going to talk about is one that I would say, in my own estimation, between 85 to 90 percent of the Christians today don't like. Uh, Christians, in fact, look for any possible way to justify not obeying that command or maybe just simply ignoring it. And I want you to know that this direct command is from the disciple whom Jesus loved. <clears throat> now, something interesting, and again, Eric made mention of fact that, you know, God is love and so forth and so on. And and uh, people will use that that expression. I wonder if you know which author is the one that uses the word love more than any other author. Uh, if you check it out, you'll find out it's the Apostle John. He uses the term love more than any other uh, writer of, of, uh, of any book in the Bible. Uh, yet, if you are to read John's writings you'll find out that he's one of the toughest, most dogmatic, at least in the New Testament, writers that you're going to find. He's a rough preacher. He's a hard preacher. And he gives you really no wiggle room to soften his position or soften what he's written in the scriptures. The verse that I, if you haven't figured it out already, is found in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, <clears throat> and the verse, verses read this way. It says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. 
If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So, I want to focus on the command itself where it says, love not the world. Now, I mentioned that John is the one that most mentions the word love in his writings. But you realize there is another word that John uses more than any other author? And that's the word world. World. And, of course, John says, love not the world. Now, you might be thinking, maybe you don't know the scriptures all that well, and and maybe you're thinking, you're listening to this, and you're thinking, what are you talking about? What are you saying? You're not supposed to love this planet that we're on? I mean, we see all the beauty and all of the things that, you know, people glamorize about the world. Let me just say one little side note about that. Do you realize that what you see as beauty is God's destruction? When he destroyed the earth with a flood, he marred it. The Grand Canyon is the marring of this earth because of man's sin. And so a lot of things that we see out there that we see as being wonderful and beautiful are actually God's destructive hand upon this earth. So what I'm trying to say is that the beauty that we will behold at one time when when God removes the curse is going to be absolutely stunning. Absolutely stunning. Now, To explain what I'm talking about as far as the definition of the word world, I'd like for you to turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Excuse me, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And I'd like for you to take a look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. So obviously the first one is a reference to the earth. The second uh, reference to the world there is a reference to the earth that he made. But the last one where it says the world knew him not, you're saying that the earth knew him not? Are you saying that the rocks and the water and the air had some form of consciousness that knew, didn't know who it was when he was here on this earth? You see, that reference right there, that third reference where it says, and the world knew him not, is not a reference to the earth itself, but is a reference to humanity as a whole. Now, you know that by the verse that I'm about to quote you is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That whosoever is not talking about rocks and trees and and uh, water and air and all that kind of stuff. It's talking about a person. And it says, God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So there is this, again, that last reference is about humanity as a whole. And that humanity, which lust after the things that we saw there in verse 16, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they knew him not. So, who by by spiritual means, these people, this world system, is guided 
to be against God and against his word and anyone who follows him, thus the world knew him not. But if you realize he is referring to the world system when when that verse is quoted, love not the world, and you understand it's about the world system of beliefs and practices, uh, you just, many Christians just hearing those words, uh, love not the world, the flesh begins to find some way around them. I mean, he couldn't mean what he said. I mean, we're living in this world. We have to function in this world. And what does he mean by love, not the world? He couldn't mean that. Couldn't mean that. So why would God, through the Spirit, have John say such a thing? There must be a reason. There must be a reason why the Apostle John, at the direction of the Holy Spirit, said, love, not the world. First, let's look at, uh, in a basic way, what constitutes the world? And let's say the world system. I'm not talking about individuals, but I'm talking about what constitutes, what drives them, what, what creates the philosophy from which they live. And that philosophy, uh, it's a philosophy about money, about fame, about power, and about influence. And this philosophy is adopted by the whole society and is made, it is manifested by, um, by what people do, as we found there in verse 16. Thus, their lusts dictate or is a result of those philosophies of the fame and power and influence and money and so forth. So when someone wants some money, they lust after that, and they, they go after that. And so their idea about money is a world's philosophy about money. It's not God's philosophy about money. So there's a contrast there. That's what I guess what I'm trying to, to get across. So when we read verse 16, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. So this world's philosophy, as we've just seen there, is not of the Father. Then the obvious question is, who is it from? Who is it from? Take your Bible and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, it says this, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Notice how that's phrased, in whom the God, small g, of this world. And obviously we know who that is. It's a reference to the devil. And God has given him permission and right, if you will, to be able to govern the affairs of this world. Now, obviously he can't go beyond God's command. He can't go beyond God's permission, if you will, but he still has control of this world. And notice what his purpose is uh, there from the verse and the verse previous. It says in the verse previous, "If, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. 
So this world system has their minds blinded from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the devil doesn't want people to be saved. So he blinds them so that they cannot understand the difference between salvation and religion. Consequently, you have uh, a, a bunch of religions that are following the world system in belief. See, the devil's not against religion. He's just against the true religion, the right religion, the right salvation of being born again. And that's what he's against. So that's what he's trying to blind. That's what he's trying to prevent from taking place. And the world system works at his behalf to cloud that, to overshadow that, to get people to desire what they are promoting instead of what God is promoting. That's what constitutes the world system at the devil's behest. For more clarification on that, if you doubt that that he has control of the world system, take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 4. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 4, we are reading, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> there in the very beginning about uh, the uh, temptation of Jesus Christ in the wilderness. He's already fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Now the devil has come at him with uh, three temptations. And the third of those temptations is found in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 8. And it says there in in verse 8, it says, And again, again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And he saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Now, because of that, the Lord says that the world is evil. Because the devil has control, and he operates through a, by spiritual means the world system, this world is evil. Take a look in Galatians, Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, take a look in verse 4. Talking about Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. Now he's not talking about this earth. Not talking about the earth itself, the globe. He's talking about the world, the world system. And so he calls it evil. This world, as being evil, is against God, and it hates him. That's something that Christians really need to get in their mind and understand, that this world hates God. This world hates Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of John, again, we find in chapter 7, Chapter 7, verse 7, it says, The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. So you realize the reason why 
the world hates Jesus Christ is because he told the truth about the world. About who runs it, operates, what it, how its philosophy differs from God and is contrary to the word of God. And therefore, it hates the Lord Jesus Christ. This world system is relentless in trying to rid any consciousness of God at all. Now, you may not think so, and maybe just a cursory uh, observance of things you might justify and say, well, the world isn't really that bad. It's not trying to get rid of God. Oh, yes, it is. I think you need to maybe take a little bit more time and just really think about some things that are taking place even today in our in our world today that we're, we're living in now. Things are happening even at an exponential rate than what they were several years ago. This world has been attacking the mere mention or reference of the Lord. For years and years and years, we had uh, the determining of time as being B.C., before Christ, and A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. Modern people have now, and, and societies and so forth, governments have now changed B.C. to B.C.E., meaning before the common era. And now they've changed AD to common era. And thus taking out any reference to Jesus Christ or in the year of our Lord. They don't want to recognize him as being the, having their birth dated by the birth of Jesus Christ. They can't stand that. They, they just refuse to allow that to take place, so they have to change things that have been established for years and years and years and years and years just to accommodate their world philosophy. Another thing that they've changed, uh, you know, this this uh, season is coming up, and uh, we uh, think about Christmas, and obviously as Christians we know what Christmas is all about. It's about the birth of Jesus Christ. But what has the world turned Christmas into? Uh, a gentleman that is roly-poly with the red suit and, uh, you know, gives gifts and rides a sleigh with reindeer and so forth and, and so forth. And, and obviously this world system has capitalized on that and made as much merchandise off of it as they possibly can. I mean, it used to be, and, and I, you know, I'm aging myself, but some of you younger people might not understand this, but there was never a mention of Christmas until the day after Thanksgiving now is called Black Friday. You ever wonder why it's Black Friday and it's supposed to be people going out and buying gifts for Christmas? Uh, that, that's another thing altogether. Anyway, I digress. But now, a few years back, they made mention of it before, uh, right after Halloween. Now they're mentioning it before Halloween. And now you've got some places that are trying to draw your attention to Christmas time, and of course they're not referencing the birth of Jesus Christ, but they're talking about the merchandise of it all the way back in July. So they're trying to take the, the meaning of our holiday as we, and some of you may not believe in keeping the day, and that's fine, that's up to you, you can do whatever you want, uh, Romans chapter 14, whatever, you know, if you regard the day or don't regard the day, it's to the Lord, but 
Thus, you know, we, we want, I want to try to draw the world's attention to the fact that Jesus Christ was born to this world. So I take advantage of it. So they're trying to get rid of God. Uh, what this world calls Easter, I try to refer to it as Resurrection Sunday or whatever. However, you know, we as Christians can, can uh, name that. But Easter time is obviously supposed to be about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What has the world turned it into? An Easter bunny, baskets, candy, and in our area anyway, and Pastor Strobel and Eric probably confirmed this, butter lambs is a mention that's always something that's special here in uh, Easter time. <clears throat> People take their Easter baskets into uh, Roman Catholic churches to have their baskets blessed before they give them to their kids. That's just something, I don't know if they do it around the country, they do it here. Anyway, they're taking away from, my point being is that the world is trying to get rid of any mention of Jesus Christ. The one, the, the holiday that we're coming up to now in Easter time, or Thanksgiving time, this is a couple of weeks before <clears throat> Thanksgiving, and uh, uh, what Thanksgiving has become to mean to this world, it means food, football, and oppression. Back in 2007, the Seattle schools declared Thanksgiving a time of mourning and a bitter reminder of 500 years of betrayal and oppression. This new thinking by the world has depicted the pilgrims as arrogant oppressors who fled persecution only to become persecutors themselves. Now, in that statement and those, those ideas that they're fostering as being true are actually untrue because the pilgrims did not flee England to go to America because of persecution. Now, they left England for, for persecution reasons, but they didn't go to America. They went to Holland. They went to Holland where you could have religious freedom and worship. <laughs> but after a few years living in Holland, uh, they fled. They decided to flee Holland for fear of seduction. Their words, not mine, for fear of seduction. Because the world system there in Holland was rife with sinful practices and materialism. And they were fearing, the pilgrims were fearing that their children would be caught up into this materialism, into this sinful lifestyle, and be lost to the world and not uh, uh, be garnered to the Lord's service. So they took off for America to flee seduction. <clears throat> when they got here, Obviously, a lot of things took place, but they came across a village that they didn't dominate and, and kill everybody off. It was already a village that was already vacant with all of its food stores still there and so forth. And they went around looking for the Indians to pay them for the food that they, they, they ate of those stores because they had used up their plenty there in the ship. And, uh, found out that that village had been abandoned. Actually, what had happened is that the Indians of that village had died off a few years before that. And so there was no oppression. There was no uh, persecution. 
There was no killing off anybody. Uh, and a few months after their landing there, someone from that village by the name of Squanto came across them, who had been taken several years before as a young boy and taken off uh, and, and taken to Spain. From Spain, he was delivered by some monks and made his way to England. That's my understanding. He received Jesus Christ, became a believer, learned the English language, came back to America, and then happened to be there at the very time that the pilgrims were there and needed somebody. The pilgrims declared him as being a gift from God. He uh, he explained, you know, what took place and so forth, and he helped them be able to plant some food and and to be able to uh, sustain their themselves and so forth. Introduced them to the. Uh, major tribe there with the chief of Massasoit and uh, brokered a peace treaty between the two of them. There was no oppression. There was no aggression. There was none of that. But yet they're trying to get rid of any influence that God would have on our society for us to believe that there is a God of providence that will take care of us, that is concerned about our spiritual welfare and where we're going to spend eternity. And so they want to get rid of that God. And so this world system is not doing nothing more than trying to silence any mention of God. So now when you become associated with Jesus Christ by being saved, born again, you are hated by this world. The Gospel of John, chapter 15. <clears throat> Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 18. says, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Also in uh, the one of the letters of, of John, 1 John, chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Drop down to verse 13. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. You are to this world strange in your beliefs. If you're a true Christian and living for God, you are odd. You are peculiar. And by being peculiar, you are a threat to society. <clears throat> in fact, they classify you as anti-social. Uh, I've, uh, the, the name will remain nameless, but I knew a young lady who was working for a credit union who was a Christian, and uh, her co-workers were not. She didn't bother anybody. She didn't do anything to anybody. But yet, uh, these co-workers had, you know, thought she was strange, thought she was weird, didn't participate in the bad jokes and dirty language and all that kind of stuff. And there came a time when they wanted to have a Christmas party and go to a bar and, and uh, you know, have kind of this... Uh, what, a, what do you call it, uh, uh, camaraderie thing, you know, get together and become a team and do all of this kind of stuff. And and this girl said, I, look, I'm a Christian and, and I don't go to bars and, and I don't drink and so forth. So she didn't go to the, go to the, um, go to the party there. 
And uh, because of that, they termed her as being antisocial and systematically over a period of time began to push her off to the side and eventually let her go later off or fired her for whatever reason in saying that she wasn't a team player and so forth and so on because she didn't go along with their philosophy. You see, you become antisocial, and because you're antisocial, they interpret that as you thinking that you're better than they, and for whatever reason, they think that they have to silence you because you are strange and different. And therefore, you must be silenced, like I said, or eliminated. Thus, we have a command against this temptation to give in to the world's pressure. In Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, you ought to know these verses. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You, If you're saved and born again, you ought to be living for God. And as I told our people here, I remind them from time to time, I said living for God is 24-7. It's not just something you put on and put off. It's a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. And again, which is your reasonable service. But verse 2, and be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, this world wants to conform you to its philosophy. It wants to separate you, as even as a Christian, it wants to separate you from your biblical beliefs, your biblical worldview, your biblical philosophy, and wants to separate you from that and coerce you into following them and their philosophy as opposed to the Bible. They want to conform you to their philosophy. Uh, it is not just a matter of disagreeing with an issue here and there. If you are not on their side and conformed to their views, you must be silenced by intimidation, by law, by force, or by death. We see this happening all over in our society, even today, on any number of issues. You know, freedom of speech is, is really kind of laughable, because if you don't agree with a particular uh, party today, uh, you are demonized, you are called all kinds of names, and you cannot freely say what you wish to say, even if it's something biblical. You, you are fearful of saying that because you're afraid of being brought under lawsuit. There are laws in Canada now, and they're quickly trying to come to the United States, where if you say something about homosexuality, you are guilty of hate speech, even if you're just quoting what the Bible says. So there's no freedom of speech. Freedom of religion is, is kind of laughable because our religion teaches us that we're supposed to be witnesses, that we're supposed to go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. 
And there are many a preacher that have stood on a public street corner, on a public sidewalk, and have had the police called on them and asked them to move, asked them to stop because they are, quote, driving people away from the businesses around the area. And there's no freedom of religion to practice that religion. Uh, you have uh, you have all th- kinds of things that are going on. You've got schools that are are banning people from even praying out loud over their food at lunch. You have just recently here, and I don't remember the exact circumstance of where it was, but I got the gist of it, that a young girl went to a grade school with her Bible and the principal came and took the Bible from her. Not saying that she was doing anything overt with it. She had it with her and they confiscated the Bible. This world intimidates with lawsuits anyone who would want to allow these freedoms in the public arena. So if you want to do something that uh, allows people to express their religious convictions, somebody is going to draw a lawsuit against you and intimidate you to keep silence. you got a political uh, group that's out there that if somebody on the radio a conservative radio, whether it's Fox, maybe Hannity or Rush Limbaugh or anybody along that line, they immediately go to the, uh, to the sponsors of that and threaten lawsuits against their, their uh, sponsors and try to get them off the air by taking their sponsors away. There's no freedom of speech. They have to intimidate. And that's what this world system does. A manger scene on government property. There has to be a lawsuit to get it off. Football players at the end of the game from both teams want to gather together at midfield and pray and just thank God for, for anything that either the good fortune of nobody being hurt or praying for somebody that did get hurt. No, that's banned. You can't do that. And throughout the last 200 plus years of Christian history, the, the length of time that, that the church has been around, Christians have been persecuted and killed by governments. Uh, You don't have to go far. The first century, the Romans were taking Christians and killing them in the Colosseums, and they didn't have to be brought to the Colosseums. They were killing them outright. You had the Jews going about trying to kill Christians in the early church. The Apostle Paul was consenting to their death and trying to hail Christians to bring them and, and uh, have them persecuted and so forth and have them killed. You have the communists, either through Russian uh, uh, government or Chinese government, that were killing Christians right and left. I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the China Inland Mission that was started by Hudson Taylor back in the 1800s had flourished and grown and had done some marvelous things all across China. But when the Boxer Rebellion came up, they, they started killing uh, Christian missionaries and killing the, uh, the sound and faith uh, Christian Chinese that uh, were believing in that fashion, and they tried to silence the Christian church. The fascists were killing Christians. Not only governments, but you had religionists that were killing Christians. Obviously, we know the Jews. We talked about them, but we also see that the Roman Catholics during the Inquisition were killing Christians. those that were Bible believers, those that were born again, that did not conform to the Roman Catholic doctrines were killed. 
He had some Protestants that were killing Bible-believing Christians because they didn't conform to their ideals. You, had, you have now Islamists that are killing Christians simply because they will not conform to their beliefs. It's a world system. Doesn't make any difference what the religion is. Doesn't make any difference what the government is. If they're following the world system, they are against God and against Jesus Christ. And they're going to try to silence any uh, voice that is contrary to their philosophy, their voice. No doubt because the author of this philosophy, obviously, which is the devil, is against anyone who is a true believer. You have this written about him in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I told our people here not too long ago, I said, look, if you had a hungry, hungry African male lion come through the back doors uh, I tell you what, it wouldn't be a pretty picture. It wouldn't be a pretty picture. And that's what the devil would like to do to you and I. If he had his way, if God was not holding him back, he would tear us apart. Why? Because he hates us. Why? Because he hates Jesus Christ. There is a real temptation for we as believers to be seduced into conformity. It is appealing for the money, the power, the fame, the influence, the fun of this world as they portray it. The intimidation to fit in and not be an oddball. I tell you, that's probably the greatest temptation that Christians have today is they want to fit in. They don't want this world they don't want people to think that they're strange and odd because of what they believe. They want to fit in. And so when someone says that a Christian is intolerant, those Christians will bend over backwards trying to show the world that, they're, that they love them, that they're compassionate towards them, that, that they want to fit in and, and think well of me. Please think well of me. When Jesus Christ could care less what the world thought of him. And a true believer will not care what this world thinks of them. That's why I said 85 to 90 percent, and the percentage could go even higher, of Christians today who will not give heed to the, to the command given by the Apostle John, love not the world. Why? Because they want to fit in. They want people to like them. There are churches that are built on trying to appease the world. I'm, I'm taking a, a, a statement, a, a quote, if you will, from Pastor Sal from many years ago when he's talking about, I know how to bring people in. I know how to, how to fill this church up. I, I know exactly how to advertise. I know what to do. We'll have Michelob Sunday. We'll have Michelob Sunday. And, and the, the lost people will come in by droves so that they can have the Michelob. And you know there'll be some Christians that won't see anything wrong with that. We have a street here in Buffalo. It's called Chippewa Street. Used to be the red light district. 
and now it is uh, patterned off of uh, uh, Bourbon Street in New Orleans, where they have just a, a block or two of, of bars on either side. And people walk up and down the streets, and they go from bar to bar, and they drink, and they carry on, and they do all the things that they do. But it's kind of a neat place because some of the buildings are rather tall in that area. And there's a place across the street from that channel that leads down to all those bars. And if you've got a fairly decent voice, when you street preach, you can kind of aim your voice down that canal. And even with all the, the buzz of the population going around there, you can, get, you can hear uh, the voice going down there. So we street preach down there from time to time. And we get people, you know, we're, we're panning out tracks to people that are on their way there. So they have to cross the street to get over there. And invariably, it seems like each time we've gone down there, there have been Christians who, have, who are telling us that we're doing it the wrong way, that we're driving people away. And I invariably ask them, so are you driving them the right way? And of course, they, him and haw and so forth. I said, are you sitting down next to them and having a beer and telling them how wonderful Jesus Christ is and how they need to be saved? They need to give up their, their loose living. They need to repent of their sins. They need to trust Jesus Christ, their Savior. Is that what you're telling them? Is that the right way to do it? And they mock us and they, and they uh, deride us and telling us that we're doing it the wrong way when all they're wanting to do is fit in with the world. They want to be a, quote, secret disciple so that this world doesn't know that they're saved, so they can go off and live the way they want to do without any reprisal. And by us standing on that street corner, we bring to mind the, the way that they should live and what they should be doing, and they don't want that reminder. They don't like the command, love not the world. You know, people call us names. Uh, they want to... They, you know, they call us intolerant, they call us bigoted, they call us all kinds of things, trying to get us to conform to their philosophy. And we need to just put a blind ear to that and just say, Lord, you know, I, I want to obey you. I, I don't, I'm not thinking ill of them. I don't wish them harm. I'm not against them. I'm actually for them. And I'm trying to reach them with the gospel. That should be the mindset. That should be the attitude. But, you know, wanting to fit in is the biggest temptation that Christians have. And, you know, that's kind of biblical. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, the Bible says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas left the ministry that he was involved with, with the Apostle Paul something that was absolutely wonderful, but the allurement of the world, the desire to fit in, the being tired of being uh, castigated to being mocked and made fun of for people threatening violence was more than Demas could take. And he loved the present world and he wanted to fit in. You know, we're commanded against that. As Demas forsook the Lord and for loving this present world, I'd like for you to turn to Titus chapter 2. 
Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, take a look in verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. When a Christian is close to this world, it has a damaging effect on his life and service for God. And so Titus says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly. In essence, Titus is saying, love not the world. Love not the world. And I mentioned that damaging effect. If I might just maybe make a little bit of a broader application here. But in Mark chapter 4, we're reading about the sower and the seed and how it falls on different ground and so forth. And one of the verses I thought was rather interesting in how it phrases this. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 19, it says this, And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things, that looks like verse 16 of 1 John chapter chapter 2, lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. I tell you what, there are many Christians that are playing with the world and getting too close to the world. And you know what the world does? It chokes out all the scripture that you've ever put in. It chokes out all the preaching that you've ever put in. It chokes the word. And what does it do? It becomes unfruitful. You're not of any benefit to God. You're not any benefit. So the thing is, is to love not the world. Stay away from it. Get as far away from it as you can. The temptation for most Christians is to get as close as they can without really, as in their terms, not getting contaminated with the world. I'm not telling you what you should do or what you shouldn't do. I think that should be personal between you and God. I think you ought to say, okay, God, I've heard this podcast, and, and Lord, what would you have me do? The command is love not the world. What am I doing in my life that is too close to the world that's choking the word? And then act upon that. I'm not going to give you a list of rules and do's and don'ts. I'm not going to do that. That's not my job. My job is to preach the word. It's God's job to convict you. It's your job to find out what God would have you to do. And so that's what I implore you to do. A couple more things and, and I'll be done. Let me just read the verse again that we started with. In 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I tell you what, if you ignore that verse, if you refuse to heed that command, I have one verse left to tell you, and this is... God's words is not mine. 
in James chapter 4 and verse 4, the adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. I hope you make good decisions today. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the opportunity. Well, thank you, Pastor Steve. Much appreciated and a, and a really good lesson, great lesson, helpful lesson. Um, you know, the Man. not following the world, at least for, for me, sometimes can be very difficult. You know, it's, it, it's sometimes just it feels easier. I'll just go along. I'll just go along, go along with the flow. And how, I mean, how can we as Christians you know, make sure that we're not doing that, you know, gird up our loins, so to speak. How do, how do we, I guess what, what you said there at the end, to ask the Lord to pray and ask him to show, show us where we're falling short, but. Well, I mean, you know, the love of Christ constraineth us. I mean, if you appreciate what God has done for you as far as salvation, uh, I think we talked about it there in, in uh, uh, Romans chapter 12. You know, it's our, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, come on. A reasonable service. Really. Your reasonable service. Thank you. There it is. Your reasonable service. It's the least that you can do. Now, if you go into it with that approach, you know, then, then your heart wants to serve him and to please him. And if he gives you a command like that, as much as the world, I mean, obviously we live in the world. We have to have jobs. We we, uh, you know, make money, we, you know, we dress ourselves and stuff, but we don't have to go along with the world's fashions. We don't have to go along with the world's ideas about money. We don't have to go along with the world's ideas with power, you know, or thinking that we, you know, are somebody, you know, you are your best friend, you know, all this kind of stuff. You, we don't have to think about and, and, and get this mindset that, that we have to influence people and do things you know, we don't have to take that on. You know, uh, I walk away when somebody uh, tells a dirty joke. Uh, you know, uh, you know, and with that, I get the brunt of all kinds of things. They talk behind my back and, and stuff like that. You have to have a thicker hide and say, okay, Lord, I, I do this because I love you. And you know what? He gives, he gives a blessing. He, he gives you a reward in that. But, you know, sometimes like like Jeremiah, you get frustrated with it. You, you, you think, is it worth it? And uh, you want to scream out and say, okay, I'm not going to do it anymore. But, you know, the word was in me as a, as a fire that burned in my bones, you know, and I could not forbear, you know, and you just you, you go back to it. But, you know, there has to be some, some sense of self-determination of saying, you know, I'm doing this for God. Amen. I don't know, Pastor Shrobe, you've got anything that, you could add to that as to how to be able to, to do that. Well, I, I find that it's something that comes natural as you walk with the Lord. You, you get into his book, you, you begin to work on your own personal life and he convicts you and you recognize by the spirit of God inside of you and what the scriptures say, there are certain things that you ought not to do. And so yeah. then if you ought not to do them and you wind up getting pressure from the world and look, even sometimes Christians you just recognize that the most important thing is for me to keep my relationship with God right. 
Right. And it's not that you're out there looking to try to be, you know, the bull in the china shop. It's just that sometimes that's the way it's perceived. But right. what you're really trying to do is stay right with God and other people wind up getting offended by it. Now, they could also solve that problem by loving the scriptures for the Bible says, <laughs> great peace of they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. Amen. 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 Let me, can I throw out another question for you? So let's say that your family is you know, used to praying in public before you eat. So, but let's say you're now in a setting where you are with other people and you're out publicly. Do you pray in front of them without, you know, let's say they're not Christians. Do you pray in front of them without saying anything or do you pray silently? How do you handle that? Well, over the years, my my approach is not to embarrass someone. I will sit quietly and, and wait. I will not, if they, if they give my food first before someone else, I'll, I'll wait. And there have been times when people who are non-Christians will, will just look and they'll say, Steve, you want to pray? And I'll, I'll go ahead and pray. If they do not, I'll wait until after they've started eating. And then I'll just quietly, just nonchalantly bow my head and, you know, I don't make a big scene of it. So my families, my families all know, you know, if my wife and I are out or even if I'm out with my kids and that situation happens, they all know just to silently by their head and, and ask God to pray Okay. And, and pray. Yeah. I think the, the, probably the major thing is just for whoever you're with, uh, hopefully if they've known you for a while, they'll just already know that you're a Christian and like, um, uh, Pastor Steve said that they'll just expect it. You know, they'll expect that either you're going to pray silently to yourself, or um, or you're going to pray out loud. I, one of the big thing is when we were back in New York here a little while ago, um, I was at my grandmother's house that I was telling you about before. Actually, my uncle's house, which is uh, her son's, and uh, the whole family was together. And he's not saved, and um, he's not real excited about the things of God. Uh, but I, I was terrified and I asked him before we ate, I said, do you mind if we, uh, if I pray before we eat, you know? And he said, no, that's fine. And he's really come a long way. I mean, um, to be honest with you, he was upset with me many years ago when I first got saved and, and, uh, pretty much told me to leave his house and not to ever talk to him about the, uh, about the Lord again. And he's really come a long way. He's not saved and, you know, he's not asking questions yet or anything like that. But I think the fact, uh, that, you know, he's, he's just seen, uh, some faithfulness, at least out of me that, uh, he respects it, you know? And I think people, even though, again, the world system's against God and people that are not saved are mostly against God. Uh, I think in deep down, they'll respect if you're faithful in regards to, um, you know, your walk with the Lord. Amen. But I got to say this too, if I could, go ahead. um, you know, I've seen it a lot, especially lately, we've been having a lot of attacks on our teenagers in our in our church. And uh, the biggest thing that I see, and I'm sure it's probably the same in all churches, good Bible-leaving churches today, is that uh, you've got some good kids, really good kids. They get excited about the Lord. And the way the world system's set up, they always put everything above God in church, especially sports. And, you know, sports is so big, especially on Sundays nowadays. And, uh, especially here in the village, the village just lifts up sports and the kids like you wouldn't believe. 
and uh and they just think that they're okay then you know and, and the other thing is too is uh boyfriends and girlfriends that are not saved and we've seen that just recently uh in our church some really good kids are getting uh boyfriends and girlfriends <clears throat> that are not saved and you could just see a total change and their desire to be in church, you know, they don't really want to be there. You can tell they don't want to be there. Their whole attitude changes, their love for the Lord and the Bible changes. So, um, you know, the Bible says in Second Corinthians 6.14, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And that's because they're, they're the unbelievers. They're really children of the devil. And uh, they're tuned in with the God of this world, like uh, Pastor Steve said, Second Corinthians 4.4. 4. And uh, so that's going to rub off on you. If, uh, and if any teenager is listening right now, and really adult too, if you're saved and you think that you're going to get that lost person saved uh, after you, you know, are dating them for a while or married, um, you know, you get married to a lost person, whatever it is, it's uh, very few that actually get saved uh, from you witnessing to them uh, while you're together. Um, but praise the Lord, it happens. But usually what happens is that lost person brings you away from the Lord and uh, directs you away from God into the world. So just uh, just a thing that I've seen, especially lately, you got to be real careful about uh, having relationships, that close relationships with people that are lost. Yeah. So scripture, evil communications, corrupt good manners, you know, those people will drag you down. You know, another way I think that we Man. can um, stay close to God and, and further from the world is what Pastor Steve has already mentioned, is being in the Bible and, you know, even attending church when those doors are open. I, I'm still sometimes, and I haven't always been the uh, paragon of virtue when it comes to this, but even attending church, you know, it's a good witness to the world. There's lost people driving by. They see those cars out there. They, I think sometimes yeah. they, it's a prick of their conscience so that they say, oh, there's still some people that, you know, believe the, believe the book and go to church and, you know, believe in the Lord. And... But I'm still amazed that, so the church that I go to, we have a Sunday school service, a Sunday morning service, then we have a mid uh, Sunday evening service, then we have a midweek service, um, and I'm amazed at why is it that the majority of folks come Sunday morning, and often not even to Sunday school, but just, just the the Sunday morning preaching, and then like the midweek is very few and sometimes Sunday night is very few. I, I don't understand that. <laughs> Maybe they somebody... don't want to miss their TV programs. I'm sorry. That's a little cynical. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll tell you what, that, that excuse is long gone because you can record just about anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's true. It's, it's, true. it's just this pull, this pull. It's like this world is a big, gigantic electromagnet. And yes, you know, one of the elements of our, blood is is iron and we're just get we just get pulled towards it <laughs> you know it's uh, just to follow up on on the lesson the good lesson that uh, brother steve brought yeah. you know it's been long said and it's been well said that as christians we are in the world but not of the world uh hebrews eleven thirteen. it's speaking of the old testament saints uh there that he had mentioned in the chapter it said um and and others but it said that they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth and that's about how it is. It's like that uh, song says, a Christian song, this world's not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I mean, our, our real citizenship, therefore our loyalty is, is in heaven. 
And uh, Colossians 3.2 says, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Um, I'm reminded of a quote by Lester Roloff. He quoted it referring to America, but it also applies to the rest of the world. So I'm just going to quote it as a reference to the world. But uh, this world is an insane asylum run by the inmates. Yes, it is. And, and they just are getting weirder and crazier and crazier and crazier. And the Lord tells us a great verse about this subject as well. First Corinthians seven thirty one, uh, it says, and they that use this world as not abusing it for the fashion of this world passeth away. So as brother Steve said, we're in it and we, we got to work and, and we got to earn money and we got to buy things, but, um, we don't let it, we're not to let it cling to us. We're not to be consumed with it. Uh, they call uh, they call us you know consumers because all the things that we consume we're not to be consumed with this world we we use it but we're not to abuse it because really what's what matters is the eternal and uh, uh and another thing too i just need to mention this you're talking about uh bce and ce and i've i've made reference to that same thing it's just it's crazy when they when they do that because the fact is they can call it whatever they want. They can call it before the common era and then call it the common era. The common era that they are referencing begins with the birth of Jesus Christ. <laughs> so so yes, you can it name it whatever you want. That's what they're referring to. And they, they just, they're crazy. Uh, you know? I know, but they got to take God's name out of it. That's, that's oh, the whole thing. Oh yeah, thing. they do. They do. But I like to remind them of that, you know, um, and, right. and, and, another, and just to kind of sum it, let us never forget. That when the God of heaven came to the earth in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, so you have the creator of the earth, the creator of the world, the creator of man, the creator of the universe. When he came down to this earth, this world killed him. Yeah. And by the way, when he comes back here the second time, they're going to try to kill him again. Yep. Amen. See Revelation nineteen nineteen for that. But they won't succeed this time. Mm-hmm. Amen. 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 All right. You know, just one other thing that um, struck me was Galatians 6, 9, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So, yep, there, there's a there's a price to pay being a Christian today and um, for, you know, following what the Bible says to do and and, and trying to draw close to the Lord. And, and sometimes it could be tiring, but let's not, let's not, uh, let's not give out. Let's keep going. Well, you know, let, let me, let me draw something from what Matt has said. I, you know, I think this world's pull, it, you know, adults are going to have, you know, their opinions you know, they're going to be either in or out, but Christians that are growing up, young people that are growing up in church, uh, in, in Christian homes like pastor Strobel's mine, Eric, like yours, so forth have been growing up in the church and, uh, you know, they're, they're being in, I'll say indoctrinated, which is the world's terms but being taught truth from the word of God, this world is pulling so hard on them. I'm not negating what the world does to us as adults, but the world is pulling so hard on these young people that they're, they're afraid they're going to miss out on something. And, uh, it's evident in the number of young people that flee the church after they're out of mom and dad's house and they're, they go to college and off they go. They're in the world and, and, rarely to be, to return and this world has such a draw and you know we have to let our young people know that this feel of feeling of ostracization is is normal 
and and this feeling of being odd is normal, but our love for Jesus Christ is is greater. And they have to be assured of that because they're not sure that that God is better than the world, at least growing up, because there's going to come a time when they're younger, they believe everything you say. There's going to come a time when they're going to question you and they're going to question God. And they have to realize that at that moment, they have to realize that God is greater than the world. And uh, that's that's the responsibility of pastors, of youth leaders, of Sunday school teachers, of uh, parents to try to reinforce and not not just ignore that, but to in, reinforce it to their kids so that their kids will stay true to God instead of drifting away. Amen. Amen. And listen, not Amen. to drag this out, but I thought of this verse earlier and and um, what you just said, this really describes that. It's Proverbs twelve twenty six, and it says, "The righteous is more excellent than his neighbor." Amen. But the way of the wicked seduceth them. Mm-hmm. So that's what's going on, and what we want to help them to see is is righteousness in Jesus Christ and living for Him is the best life. And mm-hmm. and one of the best mm-hmm. ways to do that, I I think ultimately the only way to do that is to as as young as you can have the kids and teach them and, and, and hopefully they have to do something, but, but they've got to develop that personal relationship, that personal walk with the Lord so that they can, they can taste and see that the Lord is good. And when a person does that and maintains it and they, and they have that relationship and that love and accountability to the Lord that they understand, you know, that's, what's going to get them through. I think. Amen. Amen. And also remembering this. Yeah. Jesus is coming soon, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> come on. Amen, amen. Even amen. so, Lord, come quickly. Yes. Well, thanks, guys, again for joining us. Uh, I know we got Thanksgiving and some other holidays coming up, but we'll, Lord willing, try to fit something in in, in the month of December as well. Amen. All right, anything else? I take it no. <laughs> I think we're good. All right. Thanks again, Brother Steve. Appreciate it. Good stuff. Amen. All right. Lord willing to see you all next time. In the skies, going where, going where no one dies, heavenward bound. Troubles will soon be our happy Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will many will meet their doom. Trumpets will trumpets will surely sound. All of the dead shall rise. Righteous be in the skies. Going where going where no one dies. Heavenward bound. Shall rise, righteous be in the skies, going where, going where no 
heavenward bound.